0: This student ministry 127 podcast is a lesson taught by Brother Larry Chapel during a Wednesday night teen Bible study at Lancaster Baptist Church. Brother Chapel is a graduate of West Coast Baptist College and now serves as the senior high youth pastor at Lancaster Baptist Church. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. We started talking. This is uh, this has been at least a month or so ago. We started talking about the fact that. The devil is out to get us. And we started talking about how Satan has a particular strategy. If you get into, like, uh, you know, you're, you're in a uh, playoff type game, you're in a, uh, maybe a tournament, and you're in that championship racket, it's really good to know your team's offense. I mean, that's kind of a given and how your team plays, but you get so much more advantage if you know what the other team's gonna do. And uh, when we started talking about Satan's strategy, we don't come here, we don't come to church every week to learn about Satan, okay? Uh, Satan is real. The devil is real. We talked about where, who Satan is. He was a fallen angel named Lucifer. So we talked about Satan. Uh, but we don't come to church every week to talk about Satan. We don't come to church every week and learn about the demons and Satan. That's just not, that's not what we do. Uh, we come and we learn about God. And we learn about the goodness of God and how awesome our God is, okay? So our motivation to serve God and to live for God is because God is so awesome and God is so good, not because we're afraid of the devil. But at the same time, I think sometimes we belittle and, and we kind of brush off the fact that the devil is out to get us and how serious the devil is. We, we talked about a month ago, some of you guys may or may not recall, we talked about how the devil is, first of all, He is a deceiver. And we look at the very first passage, really the first story in the Bible of Adam and Eve. And lo and behold, everything's good. God created everything declared it good. And someone showed up, and that was Satan. Showed up in the form of a serpent. And that's the first story in the Bible that we come to. And there Satan is. And what did he do? He deceived. And the way he did that was he took... God's word, and he twisted them. He left portions of Scripture out. He just flat out told some lies, and Adam and Eve, they fell for it. And from that time on, uh, mankind, you and I alike, have been falling for Satan's traps. Uh, But we talked about Satan was, first of all, the deceiver. And where he deceives you, the battleground is your mind. If he can change the way you think, he'll change the way you behave. And that's why it's so important to guard your thoughts, guard your thought life, and guard how you think about certain situations. If the devil can change the way you think about your parents, about authority, about the principles based in God's word, if he can change the way you think, eventually it will change the way that you behave. So that was the first thing that we talked about, that Satan was a deceiver. Tonight we're going to talk about the fact that Satan is a destroyer. He not only deceives, but he destroys. And this is the next logical step there is in Satan's strategy. First, he's going to deceive you. He's going he's to change the way you think about something. Uh, he'll deceive you into thinking maybe there's friends who aren't the best for you. Maybe they're okay. Maybe they're not so bad. Maybe my parents are wrong. And then and then all of a sudden, you've bought into that. And then down the road, you're going to do some real damage to yourself. Uh, my wife and I, we were... We were out of town. I don't know if it was your birthday or anniversary or whatever. We had we had a nice dinner and stuff like that. We're driving back to the hotel, and she brought up uh, talking battleship. Any guys ever played talking battleship? Okay, one person. Thank you, Abby, for playing talking battleship. Anyone else ever played talking battleship? A few of you guys. Okay, I remember some of you guys in the back. You guys remember talking battleship? Okay, Uh, I remember. This is probably when I was in kindergarten, so I wasn't expecting. Many of you to remember Battleship. But this game, Battleship, and you have these two boards, okay? You're gonna play across from somebody, and uh, some of you guys remember that the ships, okay? And you have this board and you have this map, and you have no idea where your opponent's ships are at. And you can you you position your, your ships wherever you want, and then whoever you're playing calls out a name, you know, like B-9, you have a grid, and you go and you look, okay, here's B, and there's B-9, and you call out that name, and then you look on your grid, and if you, if you see that B-9 was a hit on your ship, uh, then uh, depending on which ship it was, if it, had, if it was one of the big ships, you get like five pegs you can put into it. You guys are thinking, this sounds so boring, okay, <laughs> talking about pegs and stuff like that. Uh, but I remember when Talking Battleship came out, you'd actually push in a number and B9, and you hear this, like, you hear this, like, missile going, you know, or this torpedo. And it, like, it'd sound down like, <laughs> and then you'd just, like, wait in anticipation. And then it, it would either say, it would say miss, or it would say, like, hit, okay? So my wife, somehow she brought up that game. Remember that game? I'm like, yeah, I remember it. She's like, that would be a fun game to have. I'm like, okay, you know, so <laughs> let's go get it. And we went to uh, we went to Toys R Us. You know, here we are, third year of marriage for our anniversary. <laughs> we're gonna play Talking Battleship, okay? That's lame, I know, but it was my wife's idea. So we go, and uh, we go to we go to Toys R Us, and sure enough, they have Talking Battleship. But now it's like basically the game is so te- technically advanced that it plays itself. You know, has accompanying like DVDs and stuff. You know, uh, so we're like, we don't want that one. We want the old school one. So I went on eBay. And now they're like, they're collector's items. You can't even get it, like, for cheap. So I went and I ended up buying, I bought, like, a collector's items battleship. We got it. We played it one time, okay? I was just wasting my money, totally. But they've got these different ships, and one of the ships is a destroyer, okay? A destroyer in the Navy is a ship that is easily uh, maneuverable. You can you can switch, it can switch directions. Usually a destroyer, destroyer uh, accompanies a bigger ship. And it's a protector, but they're fast and they're quick and they're just very easily, you can turn them on a dime and uh, they've got heavy artillery on them. And, and the purpose of that ship is to really, if needed, to take out another ship to kill someone to do some damage. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about the fact that the devil is a destroyer. Okay, uh, The Bible likens him in this verse we read just a moment ago. Uh, To a lion, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I'm telling you, if there is one animal that I would not want to come across in the wild, it would be a lion. I think I would wet my pants if I came face to face with a lion. I don't even think I would run. I think I'd lay down and uh, just give up. Why? Because the a lion, plain and simple, if it's hungry, you're dead. You you there is no chance. Every once in a while, you'll see these uh, you see these television shows that you know they're, they're real amazing video. You guys ever seen? There's always one on there, the lion tamer. You know he's just like whipping the lion. The lion just sitting there, and then finally the lion's like, "Okay, I had enough. I'm eating you." You know, and he does. He eats the other person. Not totally, but uh, they have the potential to devour, okay? So that's when the, when, when the Bible compares the devil to an animal, it picks a line, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This verse starts out with a warning that we must be sober and be vigilant, okay? This takes you, some of you guys that are here for basketball camp, when, when you're, if you're the point guard for the team and you're bringing up the ball... The best point guards are those who are looking all around. The worst are those who are looking down at the ball and get stolen from behind or from the side because they're looking down. The best are those that are vigilant, who are looking around. Uh, and that's the warning that the Bible gives us. Be sober, be vigilant. So as we come here tonight for Team Bible Study, what this is is this is the time to stop, look around, be sober, and be vigilant uh, of our adversary. So let's look at a couple things. We saw last time that the devil was a deceiver. His purpose was to trick us. And now tonight we're going to see that the devil is a destroyer and his purpose is literally to devour us. And with both of these, the purpose of the devil is to gain advantage of us, to just wipe us off the face of the map. The devil would be happy to never even mess with you again because he's destroyed you. He's... He's changed the way you've th- thought. Now he's changed the way you've behaved. And the way that you can circumvent that and prevent that is to be sober and to be vigilant. So let's look at a couple things tonight. As we look at Satan, uh, the destroyer, and this is real quick by way of review. We saw this, that Satan's target, when we, when we look at him as the deceiver, is your mind. His weapon is lies. His purpose is to make you ignorant of God's will and then your defense to that is the word of God. So that was what we talked about last time. This time, as we talk about the destroyer, we see first of all Satan's target, and this is there in your notes. Satan's target is your body. Your body. When uh, when my wife and I were playing talking battleship, really what you do is you call out a number, and it was a game of like luck. You just sometimes you'd hit a ship, sometimes you wouldn't. Uh, but the devil is way more strategic than that. The devil wants you, and the devil wants to go after your body. Why is that? Let's look at a couple things. First of all, because your body is God's temple. Your body is God's temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this, What Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is, this is awesome. This is, this is one of those truths in the Bible that's hard to wrap your mind around. The fact that our body, as believers, our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Um, it used to be in Old Testament times that you know, God would come down to the Holy Holies once a year. And, and that, was, that was the temple there. And God would come you know, on a special occasion, but the Bible teaches us now that we, our body, our, our body is God's temple and we ought to behave differently because of that truth. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of God, uh, which you have of God and you're not your own. And here's why you're not your own because you're a bot with a price. That price is the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Uh, I think so often, especially during the teen years, what we like to do is we like to take control. This is my body. This is what I want to do. This is what makes me feel good. This is what makes me happy. And we live so selfishly. And what we do is we hijack our bodies because we believe the lie that the devil gives us that, hey, do whatever you want to do. Do whatever makes you feel happy. Do, hey, you call the shots of your life. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. If you have accepted Christ and you've been purchased by the blood of Christ, full control of your body belongs to Christ. And you'll be the most fulfilled and the most blessed when you live according to the principles found in God's Word and you glorify God with your body Uh, because uh, we are God's masterpiece we are God's workmanship and he desires that our lives bring glory to him so don't believe this lie that hey this is what I want to do and most people that do that they find themselves in such misery because a life fulfilled with just living the way you want to live will not bring happiness to yourself it will not bring true joy So recognize that your body is not your own. The decisions that you make, you say, well, it's just me, and it's only going to affect me. It doesn't doesn't work that way. It affects others as well. So recognize that your body is God's temple. Why does Satan want your body? Uh, Satan did not purchase your body. Uh, Satan desires to have your body, desires to have control of you so that you can mess up and do some very bad things. So... Our body is God's temple. This is an issue of ownership. If you are a child of God, it comes down to the fact that Jesus Christ owns us. And that is an awesome thing because the purpose he has for us is to bring glory to him and to give us a blessed and abundant life. So your body is God's temple. Secondly, the Bible teaches us this, that your body is God's tool. Your body is God's tool. And the verse here is Romans 6 verses 12-13, through it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Okay? If I had a hammer up here, that hammer we look at that and that's a tool. It could also be called an instrument. And that could be an instrument of incredible damage, okay? I could go here and I could go to the nice drywall over here. I could take that hammer and start just beating it into the wall, beating it into the wall, and I can do some serious damage. Uh, given just a few minutes time, I can beat that wall, I can beat holes in that wall, and. Uh, it really, in just a few minutes, in this room, I could bust out windows, bust out doors, take out the projectors. I could do thousands of dollars of damage in just a matter of minutes. Uh, it's an instrument. At the same time, someone who's gifted, you know, uh, as, a, as a construction worker, that knows how to use a hammer, that knows uh, how to build something, can take that same instrument and create a masterpiece. Okay. But what's the difference? It's how the instrument is used. The Bible teaches us that we, our bodies are instruments, either of righteousness or unrighteousness. You can use your body, your, the things you do, the things you say, the places you go, the way you act. You can use all these things uh, as an instrument of righteousness or an instrument of unrighteousness. You look at in a youth group our size, and not just our youth group, but really any youth you guys that are visiting from out of town, your youth group as well, there are those on both sides of the spectrum. There are teens in your youth group that are living for God. Every minute they have, they're telling others about Christ. Uh, they're living in a way that their body is an instrument of righteousness. And then there are others that, man, they're, just gonna, they're flat out going to do whatever they want to do. And they've chosen to let their bodies be an instrument of unrighteousness. And this is, this comes down to uh, control. Who has control uh, of your of your body? You have incredible potential. That hammer has incredible potential to do some very good things or some very bad things. But it's an instrument, and you are an instrument of either unrighteousness or righteousness. The choice is up to you. So your body is God's temple. Your body is God's tool. Thirdly, your body is God's treasury. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, For we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So your body is God's treasury. What do we pull from this? What does this mean? It means that you are valuable. You are valuable. Now, let me tell you this. Everyone look up here. Our culture, our society, television, shows that are prominent today, music that is prominent today, our culture feeds us this lie that you are not valuable. You are not valuable. And you know what? You know what? Satan's lies to us is that your, your purity is not valuable. What you do with your life is not valuable. And that nothing could be further from the truth. Because to God, you are valuable. You know why our culture finds value in you? Only to turn a profit. Uh, you'll find very little people in the, let's just say, the clothing industry that care about you. They don't care about you at all they care about the profit they turn off of you and there've been research done on and that and that is across the board just in every industry because you're not of any value besides the profit that you turn uh, it's funny uh, I read a study a few months ago that you think about your high school years most most people in high school they don't have jobs they don't have an income yet the amount of money that high schoolers spend on Clothing and video games is just huge compared to every other age group. So for the amount of money that you guys have and the amount of money that you guys spend, it's huge. And that's why if there's there's a market to go after, you know who they're going to go after first? You guys. Uh, The devil has a very specific strategy. There's no value in your life. There's no value in what you can do. And it's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we are God's treasury. It's an, it's, a, it's an issue of value. Number four, your body is God's testing ground. Your body is God's testing ground. First Corinthians 9:27 but I keep my body, but I keep under my body and bring it into subject, subjection that lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. Okay, This is an issue of trust and control, keeping your body under control and being trustworthy and having faith and trust in God. Uh, When things don't go your way, whether it's maybe, you know, the Bible does teach us that God chastens who He loves. And sometimes, guys, if you're not living in accordance to the principles in God's Word and you're not living how you should be and you're not respecting and obeying your parents like you should be, and you know what? There are times of chastening and things aren't going to go well. There's other times where the devil, and I think of Job in this scenario. The devil was flat out, his whole intention was to destroy Job. And he did it with God's permission, but it was a time of testing. So the devil's out to get your body, and in this spiritual battle that we're looking at tonight, there are going to be some times of testing. When your faith is going to be put to the test, your body is a testing ground. Um, there are going to be certain scenarios that you're going to be faced with. Some of you guys that go to public school, you're going to be offered drugs and drugs who knows what else. And there's going to be that time in your life where you're going to have to, it's easy to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe those things. But at some point in your life, you're going to have to put those things to the test. And that happens That that happens away from team Bible study, a lot of times even away from your house, away from an environment where you're most comfortable with, and you're going to be put to the test. And that's why you've got to be sure of what you believe And uh, and... And be sure ahead of time of how you'll respond to Satan's attack. So we saw Satan's target is your body. Let's see, secondly, Satan's weapon is this. Satan's weapon is suffering. The Bible says in Luke 22, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. Look at that first part. Satan hath a desire to have you that he may sift you as wheat. That is the devil's goal. And look, you see the devil's desire and God is still sovereign and he's still in control and nothing's going to happen without his permission but we've seen and we've seen even here in our Bible studies, Brother Schmitz taught us for the past several months that his desire is to get you and what he's going to do along the way is set some traps that are so perfectly set uh, that will trick us, that will fall into. That is his desire. His desire is to cause us to fall into those so that we might experience suffering. Now, this suffering might come uh, in many shapes and forms uh, physical suffering, uh, it may be a health issue that you've had or your family's had, uh, there's financial suffering, and, and you say, Well, I'm only, you know, I'm in high school or whatever. Uh, but some of you guys' families are going through financial testing right now. There's, there's spiritual suffering where there's an in, intense spiritual battle going on. And, and as a result of that, they're suffering. But you know, let me tell you, this is Satan's goal to bring suffering. Now, not all suffering is brought in by Satan. Some things, some things just happen. We live in an imperfect world. But you know what the devil will use? His weapon will be suffering. Not even that he, within his own power, can cause that suffering, but when that suffering comes in, what happens next after that? There's some bitterness that can take place, and I, I know in a youth group our size and with visiting churches here tonight that there are some tough situations represented here tonight. I know here we are in the middle of the summer, you know, uh, we're we're out of school, out of our normal routines, and I just know that there's there's some situations going on. Uh, that aren't easy for some people in this room. Uh, But God allows suffering, and how you choose to respond to that suffering uh, will will show a lot about your character, and if you respond incorrectly, the devil could really use that if you allow that bitterness to come in your heart. So Satan's weapon is suffering. Look at thirdly. Satan's purpose. Satan's purpose is this. Satan's purpose is to make you impatient of God's will, to make you impatient of God's will. James five eleven says this: "Behold, we count them happy which endure." Ye have heard of the patience of Job; we talked about him a minute ago, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender mercy. Here's what the devil would like to happen: when something doesn't go your way, when you have a trial. When you're tested, when you're put to the test, you're having a difficult situation maybe at home, the devil would love this to happen, for you to become impatient of God's will. Uh, I, I think of, for example, I think of matters of physical purity. I remember thinking when I was, uh, when I was in high school, man, staying physically pure till I'm married, this is... Insane. It seems like marriage is so far away. Uh, it seems like college is so far away. I remember my parents said, "There's some certain things you can't do till you're in college." You know, uh, that's so far away. And you know what the devil likes to do is to make you impatient of God's will. I can remember, uh, I can remember very vividly talking with my parents about uh, certain friends that they didn't want me to hang out with. And I remember thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to go to school every day and not hang out with these people? And you know what? And then in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, why would I want to hang out with them? They were so bad for me. And I see see the situation in better light now. I understand the wisdom that God gave me. But at the time, it's difficult. And you know what the devil likes to do is make you impatient of God's will. Uh, some Some of you seniors in here, as you as you look over the next year, you're going to have a lot of choices you're going to have to make. And a lot of times we just want to know, uh, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do here? What do you want me to have, do here? What's going to happen here? And God doesn't instantly reveal his will to us like that. It's a daily journey. And sometimes we can get impatient of that. You know, God, how, are you, how, how can you possibly be working in this situation? And the devil works So often, in this way, where he'll make us impatient of God's will. Let me tell you, it is way better to learn to wait, to learn to trust, and to learn to have faith and control uh, than to just buy into this instant gratification. Our world, everything's just instant. Instant gratification. You want it, you got it. That's not how God's will works, it's a process. And the devil would love for you to become impatient of God's will and, and not be willing to wait on the Lord. A couple things about impatience. First of all, impatient, impatience is a mark of immaturity. A mark of immaturity. When your parents say, hey, we're not going to do this. In fact, let's just wait on this for a little bit. A lot of times that was my dad's answer. If I would go into his room you know, at night, hey, dad, I want to be able to do this. Uh, you know, not, not yet. You know, not yet. I hated hearing that. Well, when? You know. Uh, and the more impatient I got, the more I just proved my immaturity. Uh, so, impatience is a mark of immaturity. Secondly, impatience is a mark of unbelief. The Bible says in Hebrews 6:12 that ye be not slothful, but follow followers of them who through faith and patience inherit promises learn to be patient learn to have faith and trust that God's plan is working sometimes in ways that we can't see learn to have that patience thirdly impatience is a mark of fleshly living look at Galatians 5 to 22 I believe this is in your notes but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace what's the next one say it one more time all together what is it long suffering That's patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Guys, don't be the type of person that every time your parents say, hey, let's wait on this, that you've got to have an answer right now. Why? Why? Prove to me, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? Learn to simply say, you know what? Mom, Dad, if that's what you say, I'm going to go with it. You don't have to prove what's wrong. I don't have to prove to you what's wrong with it. I'm just going to trust you because it is a mark of spiritual maturity. It is a fruit of the Spirit to be able to be patient and long-suffering and be willing to wait. Uh, I, remember, I remember when I was in high school, uh, right around the 12th grade, I started getting little privileges here and there. And I remember being in high school, my parents – they never let me just go out, hang out with friends. There was always had to be an adult chaperone. And uh, I remember when I got my permit, there were so many restrictions with that. I couldn't just hop in the car, go wherever I wanted. I remember when I finally got my license, it was, it was really neat, but I couldn't hardly drive anywhere just because my parents wouldn't let me. You know, that was, that was the rules. I remember I got to, uh, I got very impatient with that. I remember when I got my first car, and it was like, here's, here's a car, and I could drive to school and to church, but that was pretty much it. Anywhere other than that, I'd have permission. I remember the first week I got my car, my dad gave me this talk. Hey, you can't take this anywhere without our permission. You know, just call and let us know. Uh, and we'll probably say yes, but you got to call and let us know, and you can't be driving around with your friends. And uh, when I first got my license for the first six months, I couldn't, you know, legally I couldn't, but some of you guys, you know how that goes. You know, sometimes you just want to show your new car off. So I had this 89 Toyota Camry. It was nothing to show off, but I showed it off still. Uh, Brother beason, you remember that car, right? It was my sister's car, and she gave it to me uh, because she got a new car. Actually, my dad gave it to me, basically. But she always acted real nice like she gave it to me. But it wasn't her. It was my dad that kind of forced her to give it to me. So I got this car, and the first week I got the car, my dad laid down the rules. You can't do this, you can't do this, and you can't drive with friends, because um, that's the law right now, and you can't go anywhere without our permission. And I'm like, okay, this is great. Well, sure enough, the first week that my dad left town, um, I called my friend. I, I called three or four friends. I'm like, hey, you know, this car, I know it's ugly, but it actually goes pretty fast. It had a V6 engine, but it was like really, it was a tiny car. So so it got up, it got up pretty fast. So I'm like, no, I'll prove it to you. So I remember I went, I picked them up, knowing that I shouldn't, I picked them up, and uh, I went on this I – had, I had my brother in the car with me. That was my mistake. I should never have taken my brother. And I, I, we load this car up. You know, I've got, like, seatbelts for, like, five people, but we get, like, eight people in there because I'm going to show off my car. So we're all in there. It's the middle of summer. It's hot, and I get in this car, and uh, we drove. I was working at a golf course on, on the weekend, so I drove out to the golf course. And I just went as fast as I possibly can go. And uh, I got that car up to 115, and I was pretty proud of that. And, uh, and turned it around, got it back up to 115, and then drove home. And uh, didn't think anything else of it. Uh, th- a couple days later, my dad came home from a trip, and I told my dad, you know what, I'm really liking this car. Because at first, I'm like, it's kind of ugly, you know, it's not very cool. But I, I was kind of liking it. I liked having transportation. So I was trying to show my dad I was thankful for this car. I'm like, you know what? that's yeah, not a bad car, it's, it's a pretty good car. My brother was in the room. And I told him, don't tell Dad where we're going or how fast we're going, but he didn't listen. And so as I'm telling my Dad, hey, you know what, I'm really actually thankful for this car. Matt's like, yeah, it's pretty cool, and it goes 115. I'm like, are you serious? Thank you, Matt. And my Dad, the look on his face, like, totally changed. Right there, he's like, give me the keys. I only had that car for like a week, and I already got the car taken away from me, and I couldn't drive it for a month, Okay because I was so impatient of what I wanted to do. I wanted to go take my friends for a ride. You know what happened? I just only prolonged the process even more. Now here I am coming to, next, coming to school the next week in my mom's minivan. How cool is that, you know? Door opens, I get out. Where's your car? Well, it's at home. I just didn't feel like driving it today. A lot cooler in mom's van, you know, how that goes. But it never works out. when we try to, When we try to manipulate and to work around uh, what God's will is for our life, and never works out for our best. So Satan's purpose is to make you impatient of God's will. And then fourthly, let's look at your defense. Your defense. Uh, your defense. The imparted grace of God. The imparted grace of God. What does that mean, the imparted? That means what God has left us with. Any guys ever had... Relatives over to your house, and before they leave, they're like, "Hey, you know, we're loading up the car, but we wanted to give you something. You know, here's a here's a small gift. Maybe they gave it to your parents. Here's a here's a small token of our appreciation. You know, it's like a candle or something. It's an imparting gift, okay? One of the best things about the Christian life is the fact that it's not on our own. And the more you try to make the Christian life be about you and can I do better," You're just going to fail. The fact that God is with us and God wants to be with us, God wants to be a real part of our life, not just some distant being, but someone that's involved and interested in our life. Uh, but he's left us some things, and he's left us. We have the Holy Spirit, like we said at the very beginning, that our body is God's temple, and we can we can, uh, listen to the Holy Spirit, or we can Ignore the Holy Spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit. But we have God, we, our body is God's temple. And that's very cool. And that's something that God has left us with. But you know what God gives us? God gives us His grace, the grace of God. Now, how do you get God's grace? And we'll, we'll see this in just a second. Number one, immediately submit yourself to God. Immediately submit yourself to God. Job 13:5 Though he slay me yet I will trust in him but I will maintain my own ways before me before him. Job 13:15 Look, Job was saying, I can have so many things go wrong in my life and yet I will trust in God. God's grace, God's grace is his provision in our lives that even though difficult times may come, we might be tested, we might Tried, uh, we might suffer, but God's grace is there for us. And we can always rely on the fact that God's grace is real, and God's grace is sufficient. It's hard to describe God's grace, uh, and, and every time I hear it, try to describe it, sounds kind of cheesy. But for instance, uh, God's not going to promise that it's not going to rain, but He's going to have that umbrella there for you. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but this is. God's grace is real in our lives. It doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen, but what it does mean is that with Him there, we can get through them. So God's grace, the imparted grace of God. Uh, Immediately submit to God. And this is Job saying, though He slay me, yet I will trust in Him. And when difficult situations come, something that happens in your life, maybe that you don't even totally understand, trust in God. And God's grace will be sufficient. Secondly, thank God for trials. Thank God for trials. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So thank God for trials. Letter C. Spend much more time, spend much time in the Word of God. Psalm 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Uh, there was a guy. I've used him as an illustration uh, from time to time. Thatcher and I made a visit to a guy a couple weeks ago. And uh, there was a guy that grew up in our youth group. None of you guys would know who he is. And he really struggled in like 7th and 8th grade. Just really struggled. He had a lot of bad things happen in his life. Uh, this guy had his, his dad died in early age. And uh, his mom died just a few years ago. And he really really struggled in our youth group and it wasn't before long that this guy you know before he ever even graduated was in prison and had some really bad things happen and and Thatcher and I had the opportunity to visit him and I remember when he was in eighth grade I remember one time going and talking to him with brother Josh Ermler. he was at our church at the time and it's like we couldn't get God's truth like through his head we try to convince him you're going to self-destruct you know Satan's going to destroy you and it's like he just wouldn't believe us. And time and time again, he went through some, some tough, tough times. And I won't go into all of it, but, man, he found himself in some difficult, bad, bad situations. And uh, I got a call from him, and I've used him as an illustration before, even in my Sunday school class, about someone who just totally blew off the principles in God's Word. And then lo and behold, I get a call a few weeks ago that this guy wants to turn his life around. And I go to his house with uh, Brother Eric Hayes and Thatcher and we sit there. And let me just tell you, this guy has seen where sin will take you. And he wants nothing to do with it now. Uh, he's spent time in prison. He's overdosed on drugs. I mean, every bad thing that you can think happened has happened to this guy. And uh, he, he wants nothing to do with it now. And all of a sudden, all those things that we were trying to tell him in 8th grade, all of a sudden those things make sense. And now, kind of like this verse we read just a minute ago, now that he's tasted of some of the wickedness of sin and what life is like apart from God, he wants nothing to do with it. So, spend more time in God's Word. Like that verse said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now have I kept the Word. You know what? It's better just not to go astray. It's better just to live by faith, trusting in God's word. The Bible says, "It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn Thy statutes." Okay, when difficult situations come in your life, whether it's trouble that you get into, or just maybe uh, suffering that you've gone through, maybe maybe just a bad situation that you you didn't even do anything wrong. Okay, so we're talking about two different things tonight. Look up here, things that you did wrong. And man, I was stupid and now I'm paying the price for that. And then there's the other side of the equation. Where you didn't do anything wrong and now you've found your family in a difficult situation. You're having a tough time. Maybe you're being mocked for your faith. But whatever side of the equation you are, find grace in God's Word and learn from it. Like this verse says, that I might learn from my statutes. And then letter D. Look for ways to glorify Christ. Look for ways to glorify Christ. 1 Peter Peter 2.20 says this, For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it uh, patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, yet take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Basically, what good is it when you go through a difficult situation You go through a time of testing maybe a time of trouble and you don't learn from it so learn to be patient learn to trust in God learn to trust in the principles of God's word Satan is a deceiver he wants to trick us but look listen Satan is also a destroyer one of the ways he destroys is by letting bitterness take root in your life so I don't know I don't know All the situations represented here tonight, whether it's your family going through a tough time, or maybe you say, man, Brother Chapel, I've just been in trouble and I'm sick of it. And I hope that's the case. Learn from these things. Trust in the principles found in God's Word. Recognize that the devil is seeking to destroy us and be more sober and vigilant because of that. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.